the fuzzy logic science show now this morning i came in to the studio using this very clever contraption spars levers ropes and pulleys and my scrawny little legs were pumping those bicycle pedals Yes, I'm talking about the human body here and a very complicated and very subtle system for getting us around the planet, usually safely, not always, but lots of uh, fascinating things to discuss on the theme of how the body works and how we know where we are in space. And I have a couple of guests who are immensely qualified to talk about this, uh, uh, Professor Gordon Waddington and uh, Ashley Marchant, uh, and Ashley is a PhD student uh, who I met recently, and Gordon is a professor from the University of Canberra uh, Research Institute of Sport and Exercise. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for having us on. Oh, a, a, a pleasure. Now, uh, uh, Gordon, I've given a very crude introduction to the human body, uh, ropes, levers, spars, pulleys. Is that heading in the right direction? Do you want to flesh that out a little bit? Uh, pardon the pun. Yes, I suppose it certainly is, although we probably haven't got too many ropes in us. Uh, the equivalent there, I suspect, would be the tendons. I mean, we've got muscles, obviously, which are, which are if you like, engines that, that, that create movement. We've got tendons that, con that connect the muscles to the bones, and the bones provide us with the rigid structures from which we can apply forces to move around on the surface of the planet. Um, obviously, we have joints in there between, between the bones that allow that flexibility. Um, and then what's been my space for a long time in terms of the research area is how the brain acts as a control system for that whole mechanical system. Um, that, that is really, really cool. Um, that process of developing over the years from, a, from an infant right through to as we age and the changes that, that happen with that. So, so yes, definitely, um, definitely a mechanical system, but um, has a lot of... A fuzzy logic up there in, in the brain side of things for control system. Uh, fuzzy logic, yes, you're, you're talking our language. Now, uh, we'll go into a bit more about the control system because that's, that's obviously very subtle and very complicated and important. But uh, here's, a, here's an item of trivia, and maybe it helps to illuminate some of the things you've just described. Now, take my hands here, and I'm bending my fingers. Now, I don't have tell me if I'm wrong, any muscles in my fingers. So what's going on there? So you're absolutely correct. You don't have any muscles in the fingers themselves. The first muscles appear in, the, in sort of under the palm, inside the palm of your hand. But those, those fingers are attached to muscles uh, in, in the hand and in the forearm with tendons, those tough, wiry, uh, not, not wiry, but tough tendinous material that holds, holds onto the bone. You've also got those fingers wrapped in um, skin. So two big areas of feedback come in there. You've got little sensors in the skin, pressure sensors and stretch sensors in the skin. And back in the muscles, you've got um, sensors inside the muscle fibers as well. So the muscle fibers can tell how much force is being applied. With, sorry, the sensors within the muscle can tell how much force is being applied in the muscle and how much stretch is happening in the muscle. Out in the finger, you've got uh, the skin has to move every time you move any part of those fingers. And so you're getting feedback to the brain there. You're also getting feedback in the joints. 
the joint feedback is slightly different though it tends to it tends to not give much information in normal movement it only really comes in when you start to overstretch you know if you if you catch your finger on the on the desk or something and it, and it starts to pull too hard on the joint that'll send back feedback that actually ouch this is not working get away from this oh so the safe operating parameters to put it yes <laughs> yes yes well, actually, I've just, as you were speaking there, uh, I just had a direct experience of what you're describing because I reached down to one of the dials on the console here in our 2 X studio. In fact, I'll do it now. And I'm putting my fingers on this thing, and, and I, it's, it's, there's a lot going on here. So there's the texture of the dial itself. It's got little ridges on it, and I'm putting my fingers on I can feel it through my skin. I know grossly in space where my arm and my hand is. So that's the large scale sense of, what's the technical term for here? The technical term we, we use for that is proprioception. So that's understanding of where parts of your body are in space. So that, exactly that, that you and I are looking at it, each other across the table. Uh, you can be doing something with one hand or the other, knowing what the, that information is coming about, where the position of that hand is, the force, the load, and manipulate things without looking at that hand. So that's proprioception. And uh, as I'm doing it too, like I'm looking at you across the studio console here, but I was also looking at the thing. So I'm using my visual system as well to con in conjunction with my, the proprioception, or it's, it's part of that, right? That's right. And in fact, um, you're using more than that. You're also using your vestibular system, so, which is the inner ear, the part of the balance system. So those three systems, the vestibular system in your inner ear, your vision and your proprioception are the fundamental things that allow us to sit up, uh, move around and, and do the things we need to do to, to, to continue to survive in the day. It's kind of handy, yes. I'm lucky that I'm, well, I have severe hearing loss. My sense of balance is still pretty good. And uh, my friend Ashley here, Danish, you, you saw that firsthand because I w was a very happy bunny in your studio a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm running a project at the moment where we're looking at ankle somatosensation or ankle proprioception. And, yeah, Rod, you were one of my volunteers, one of my first um, participants for this project so he was doing some funny things with his ankle and um, standing up in a dome practicing balance and considering your hearing loss you did really well <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I ride a unicycle I think that probably helps to keep my um, sense of balance well developed and I've got to say I'm average I'm an average rider I've only done it because I was persistent which kind of taps into one of the important principles, I think, does it not? Uh, practice. You're looking at me, Rod, so That was a statement, but it could be a question. But do you want to pick up on how repetition is important? Absolutely, absolutely. So that process of um, right from the moment of our birth, um, that process of what we call nerve plasticity comes in. So this is where we continually shaping and reshaping our images or the, the structures inside our brain that provide us with the concepts of um, something like what a, what, what a physical movement or a feeling for a, for a process is. Um, starts off fundamentally just if we think of a toddler getting up to, be, to begin moving, the practice they do for standing up, falling over, standing up, falling over, all of that is 
continually pruning and realigning what we call synapses in the brain, the little connections between the different components of the nerves in the brain. They're listening to this information that gets sent in from all of these sensors we were just talking about, and they keep readjusting that and, and, and refining that to give us a good image of what needs to be um, efficient movement. And that's practice that makes that perfect, so to speak. It's amazing what the brain can do, and we could talk at length about the brain. In fact, we were having a really interesting conversation before we went live. I just want to go back to uh, Ashley's project a bit more because we haven't fully described it. Now, you had some interesting bits of kit there which served to illustrate some of the points that we're talking about here. Uh, and I stood inside a thing that looked like uh, half a walnut. What was that? <laughs> um, so that is our Bertec system, which uh, we did a sensory organisation test. So basically a test on how, your how good your balance is. So um, you're required to stand there and hold still under a different variety of conditions. So it starts off really easy. You just stand there nice and still, and then it progressively gets harder. So towards the end, um, the lines on the screen that you see are, are shifting and the platform beneath you shifts, and your goal is to stand there nice and still and see how well you can hold your balance up. It's quite tricky, quite tricky. Yeah, it was, it was fun but quite tricky, and like it was a bit like having a few drinks. <laughs> so like, like you said, to, to start off with, uh, I just stood there in this dome, and I'm in a, in a harness as well. Yes, yes, and just in case. <laughs> just in case. Well, at one point, the, the, the first time, I think you had me close my eyes, and then the board was wobbling under my feet, and I did I did start to lose my balance mm. at one moment. Mm. So alcohol, I guess that's a... Do you have any comments about alcohol and how it affects your system? Is that something you've ever looked at? Um. Not specifically in relation to what, what we're doing at the moment with proprioception, but certainly alcohol disturbs that, that, that connection loop, that feedback loop. So that's why we tend to be more clumsy when... Um, and there are many other drugs, of course, that, that impact mm. on that in a very similar way. Um, and obviously it's one of the reasons we, don't, we're not, we shouldn't be driving when we've been drinking, because our, our capacity to take information in from the outside is substantially altered with, with some of those drugs. Yes, yeah, so I won't ask you about the brain mechanism because that's probably a specialised thing, but I think there's a couple of levels in what you're describing. One is your physical sensation, so you lose your balance, but also your higher order faculties are impaired, so your sense of risk, mm -hmm. your, your judgement. and uh, Your reaction times are slowed. Yeah, yeah, your reaction yeah. time. So, we, yeah, we don't drink and drive. or don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I can't help being frivolous, uh, <laughs> Ashley. Uh, imagining standing in the big walnut with um, after having a drink, but we, yeah. we won't. We won't do that. <laughs> All right. So, back to the plot. <laughs> uh, okay. So I stood on this platform, and th th so there's confusing factors going on, are, confounding yeah. information. Uh, visual cues, so all of these things working together, the vestibular system. Okay, now why was I there in the first place? <laughs> um, we are running a project at looking how the human body responds to different different environments. So ultimately we are looking at what happens to um, ankle proprioception in low gravity environments. So we completed the tests um, upright and then again lying down just to simulate the effects of low gravity. That's our that's our main goal of this project that we're running at the moment. It does sort of um, you can relate it to other things in in 
in things so injury prevention, um, what happens with falls risk in the elderly. But the main goal is um, having a look at what happens, how your body responds when it's in an upright, normal position with Earth's gravity pulling us down, and then lying down and, and where that sort now, of orientation is uh, on. What about the socks? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to describe the socks that you had me wearing? Sure. Yeah, so um, we had everyone, participants do the testing barefoot and then they put these specialized socks on and do the tests again so these socks that we have are com combination of compression um, and then have little rubber nodules on the sole so those little rubber nodules touch the bottom of the foot the idea is that it's going to um, stimulate all the nerve endings and and make your body more aware of where your foot and ankle is in space um, along with the compression so makes your brain sort of zone into that area of your body and so it gives you additional feedback that you might yeah, not otherwise right. have. That's right. Yes, don't you love that? I want to give you some feedback. Uh, now, one thing that you, a comment you made when I was doing that test was that uh, about the difference between my visual perception and my, what's the right term here, my sensation through my feet uh, and how I perform better in one sense than the other. Do you want to rem remind me of what? That what you were saying then? Do yeah, you remember? Um, so I think I think what you're referring to was um, when you're in the dome. Yep. That, yeah, yeah. So when when you've just got the bare feet um, and you're relying a lot on your vision, um, compared to when you're wearing the socks, you maybe sort of the the sensation from your feet is sort of weighing in a lot more than what it was prior in the bare feet. So it gives you more feedback for the brain to to figure out where you are and figure out how to hold yourself stable and balance yourself in that in that orientation so there's there's a difference between i guess an individual difference people rely to different extent on different things now one thing we haven't mentioned gordon is something you were telling me really interesting uh, when we were having a coffee just now was the auditory system Now we tend to ignore it because we're really visually dominated but do you want to repeat what you were telling me about that yeah the it really underlines the complexity and the amount of information that's coming in from all of our systems at the same time uh, to provide information as, as when we're moving around. A really simple experiment you can do at home at night um, is uh, if you put your hands over your ears in a dark room or, uh, or close your eyes in the dark room um, in, a, in a space where you're very familiar with. So I suggest most of us have to get up and go to the bathroom in the night. Um, when you get up from the bed, um, you're usually very familiar with moving in and out of that space. You've done it many, many times before. If you put your hands over your ears, you'll be surprised how disorienting that is and how what appeared to be a very easy task to do actually becomes a bit more difficult and sometimes substantially more difficult. Um, that's because we, all of us, are tending to do a tiny little bit of echolocating, and the sounds, the natural sounds that bounce off things as we touch and move things in in the bedroom, are uh, actually giving us cues about our movement. Um, so, that sort of complexity of the different the different uh, information that comes in. Uh, I think I also mentioned in that there's a really interesting study that looked at um, in normally sighted people putting on a blindfold and measuring what was happening in different parts of their brain uh, in an MRI where you mm. can take images and see parts of the brain light up according to the um, how much blood flows uh, going in that area, which gives us an indication, a broad indication of how that part of the brain is used to take information in. 
And within 45 minutes of wearing a blindfold in an ordinary, in ordinarily sighted person, they, that the visual cortex of their brain starts to take in information from the tactile surface, so from, the, from your fingers or from the sole of your feet. So it shows how quickly the brain is constantly adjusting itself to pick up information um, and very what it considers important information to allow you to keep moving and uh, functioning. So it's saying, if I'm not using that part of the visual cortex, well, hey, let's use it for something else. Uh, so it's constantly adjusting. That's what we call plasticity in the brain. The, the brain is really amazing. I think it is just absolutely endlessly fascinating. And, and how subtle that is because there's little tiny micro cues coming into your brain that you don't even appreciate what you're doing. Now, I always remember a workmate of mine telling me that she said, uh, I found it more difficult to follow people speaking when I got my heavy glasses. So I think she had pretty much normal hearing, but what she was saying was she's lip reading, uh, even though she has pretty much normal hearing, but when she couldn't see people's lips, uh, facial expressions as well, it impeded her uh, ability there. And, uh, of course, someone like me with severe hearing loss, I rely on lip reading a lot. And, in fact, you can go to her classes, and I'll I give a little plug here to uh, Better Hearing Australia, they run these really good classes for community groups and uh, they teach how to lip read. So get in touch with them. And it's also a good support group, you know, people with similar problems. But uh, I think we might uh, have a song break here on Fuzzy Logic and uh, two guests, uh, uh, Professor Gordon Waddington and uh, Ashley Martin, PhD student at the University of Canberra, studying uh, things to do with the body, uh, proprioception, where we are in space, mechanics, and uh, I think this is kind of a appropriately vigorous music to give us a break here on Fuzzy Logic. Uh, there you go. Now, if that's what music doesn't get you dancing, nothing will. My kids used to call it the boom de boom music. Let there be drums here on Fuzzy Logic. Our guest, uh, Professor Gordon Waddington and Ashley Marchant from the University of Canberra. Now, before the song break, uh, Ashley, we were talking about the uh, experiments that I, which I was very happy bunny for <laughs> in your lab the other day. And you're looking for volunteers, right? I, I do recommend it because it, is, it really is fun. Yeah, yeah. We are looking for volunteers to come participate within my research. Um, so if you're someone who's over 18, has no medical condition which might affect balance and no recent ankle injury, then you are welcome to join. As long, yeah. And um, we are running through a series of tests. So we're talking about the dome or the, or what did, what did you call it? The, the big walnut. The big walnut, yeah, yeah. So that's one aspect of it that's looking at balance. Um, the other aspect is that we're zoning into ankle proprioception. So we were discussing proprioception at the start of the show. Um, this is a test that we're running that looks at proprioception alone, I guess. I mean, there are other aspects that come into play, but this one is taking an assessment or a judgment of how good you can tell, how well you can tell where your ankle is in space. So you stand on a platform and tilt your ankle into inversion and eversion movement, which is sort of a side-to-side -side movement, um, sort of the movement that you get when you might roll your ankle, obviously not 
telling people to roll their ankle, but that sort of movement where you're moving side to side. And your job is to tell me how um, how deep you think you've moved your ankle into that position. So we do it upright, um, and then we compare people's results to lying down on a specialised bed. So we have what we call a moon wedge bed. So it's a platform set at a particular angle, uh, angle sorry, um, that sort of sti- uh, simulates the effects of standing on the moon. So the feeling that you get beneath your feet would be uh, theoretically the same as what you would get if you're standing on the moon. So about 16% of what you have of your earth uh, weight and looking at how your body and the ankle proprioception um, adjusts for that body positional change. That's right. Well, I remember doing that. So this is all highly safe, uh, and I, I should stress. And, of course, you're very careful with that. So what I did was I stood on that platform, and the platform could rock to one of four? Five, five yeah, yeah. Five positions. And it was quite a small difference in, in the amount. I had to tell you how far I could flip the, the board. And... Uh, yeah, I sort of felt like I was guessing a lot of the time. It's not a big, not a big difference. So I did that standing upright and then lying on this moon simulated gravity. And so is, is there a big difference you finding between the two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, my first, my very first project was looking at the scores upright and comparing it to lying flat on your back, just in a supine position. And our scores between the two were significantly different, so obviously worse when lying down. And now we're looking at it a little bit differently, so um, same principles, but just lifted the bed up a little bit so that we can simulate the effects of moon. Um, And so far I have noticed decreasing scores when lying down and I suppose we can relate to the to what might happen at the ankle and and your proprioception if you did travel up into microgravity and then land on the moon or maybe one day Mars and and how your ankle proprioception would result uh, would sort of respond to that different environment I, I suppose a good thing in that scenario is if on the moon if you do fall over you're going to fall over with a fraction of the, the gravity so the injury will be worse uh, okay, now the other thing you were doing was you, you put uh, electro receptors, if that's the right word, yeah, uh, yeah. down my leg, and I took about a week for the little people. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No. No, nobody sees my leg, so you were, that was okay. But anyway, tell me what you were doing there. <laughs> so we, um, so what Rod's referring to, we, we, I put little dots on the lower leg, um, to record muscle elasticity with what's called a myoton and also uh, muscle activity with an EMG Bluetooth sensor. So we were recording um, what the muscles were doing in the two different orientations, um, how quickly the muscles turn on or how long it takes for them to respond, how much the muscles spike in activity, just getting an idea of, of how the muscles work com- when they're upright compared to lying down. Um, and then this in turn you know, has relation to um, what proprioception is doing. So whether or not there's a relationship between increase in muscle activity and score on the ankle meter, we call it. Is it uh, too early to say what you're learning from that so far? Uh, so far, from this particular project, it is. Um, the other project I was discussing just before about my original one, where it was upright, just lying, lying on your back, um, I did find that muscle activity, the peak activity, so... The, the point at which muscles were activating was much higher when standing up, which makes sense. You've got to work harder to keep yourself upright. 
Um, but then when lying down, the peak activity was lower. However, muscles took longer to respond. So the overall activity was actually larger because the muscles were switching on for a longer time when lying down. So they sort of had to work harder to get the leg to move, get the ankle to move. Don't know if that makes sense to you, but yeah. Yeah, so um, the characteristics of the muscles are very different in the two positions. And I assume we're going to see similar things in this project too. Oh, yes. Okay, mm. because you've still got a lot more data collection to go and then you have to analyse all that what, do, you, yeah. what you collect. So, yeah. I have heard walking is being described as a, 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 a disaster or a, a disaster waiting to happen or, or <laughs> something like that because actually just standing upright is a really quite complicated thing and you're sort of pointing to that and how amazingly sophisticated the body is to be able to do something because it's it's not that trivial to stand upright and yet we do it and we do it in a variety of different conditions with a sloping floor moving floor visually confusing uh, information and and so on now of course if it all goes wrong gordon you mentioned uh ankle injuries and a friend of mine has really bad ankles and he's now really struggling and it, it stems from walking heavy packs in southwest Tasmania so he's really overstretched the ligaments in his ankles but uh, tell me a bit more what happens during an injury it's, it's interesting uh, you say that the, the, the comment about walking Rod, it's another uh, another expression I've heard is that walking is, is, is a controlled fall. So where and and that sort of talking to that complexity, if you think if you're standing and you're about to take a step, and if I ask people where what muscles do they think they'd first switch on or off when they're about to take a step, and most people will say, well, it'd be in my leg or. Uh, lower limbs I go to lift my leg but the very first muscles you'll switch off or on are in your low back where you allow your body's center of mass to start to fall forward because your body's center of mass and that center of mass represents it usually sits around about the pelvis height in the middle of the base of your uh, base of your, your body and as that falls forward then you move your leg to catch your body falling forward then you move your next your opposite leg to catch it again so it's a control fall process but yes when it goes wrong you've got and that's all involved in that that process of that information that's being given back to your brain about where those feet are your vision tells you that you're about to this morning if we walked outside it's wet and slippery uh, how you would how fast and how much control you need for that well, before you go on to the injuries part because I really I, I've asked you two questions at once there uh, what you're describing so your lower back muscles uh, relax first in the, as the process of walking and then when you're about to take the next step now I think that's fascinating because what we're talking about is a system so the human body is a series of interacting parts that all connected with each other they all work in collaboration and the, is that how you think about it absolutely absolutely uh, you can't um, well we, we can to a certain extent function without one of those components but it's much much more difficult and a substantial uh, impairment on, on movement without one aspect of that um, and we know that from things like our, you know if our vision changes the ability to move becomes much more challenging um, 
But those systems are continuously interacting uh, and providing feedback loops, information about what you just did with that movement. When I stepped forward as I started to, to take that step, if I put my foot onto a slightly slippery surface, if you think about imagining what you'd do if you had to walk across an icy road in the middle of winter, um, maybe not so much now with climate change, but... Well, a moment uh, ago we were sprinting across the road during in, in the, the rain, rain and I was yeah. thinking... Uh, as we were doing that, and since we were talking proprioception and balance, yeah, none of us want to go A over T. And that's and that's and part of that information will be coming from as you. Yes, certainly we can see it's wet out there, but as you start to as we started to run, we're feeling the surface of the road underneath our, our feet. We're feeling if that's got any give in it and we will change our posture in our lower limbs to accommodate for that so our steps would have even though we're running our steps would have been a bit shorter than they would have been if it was dry um, there'll be a little bit more constrained we won't get out of our center of mass our center of gravity as much you don't even think about that when you're doing it that's all happening at a subconscious level as those systems it's give that feedback adaptive. and adapt it yep uh, do yep. you ever use the term muscle memory um I don't use the term muscle memory. I think the, um, the, these are the receptor systems that provide information back to the memory systems, probably at the level of the, the memories are probably, and this is getting outside my space and I'll probably get criticised for this, but <laughs> the, this idea of, of arrays of synapses in, in different areas of the nervous system. Now, probably where that can start to happen is in the spinal cord. And then into the in, in, into the cerebellum, which is the big driver, the massive um, uh, connection of nerves and synapses that control our movement at a fairly subconscious level. And then obviously up to your motor cortex, and we're now talking up into the sort of central part of the brain. So I think those memory processes are in that in that space. But really, you can't separate the muscle because if that's not giving that feedback, you're talking you know, you're talking about these systems, um, if that's not giving that feedback, then it's obviously going to become more of a risk. And that's where it goes into this idea of what happens in an ankle injury, which was the other part of the question you asked me. Um, when you do injure your ankle and you injure it enough, for instance, to develop a limp, um, and that's not uncommon with an ankle injury, you can get a limp for a couple of days, that then changes that that central memory of the, of your movement pattern as you're stiffening that limb and moving it. Now, some of us that recovers perfectly okay afterwards, and we go back to a normal pattern. In others, there's still subtle changes in that that have happened as a result of the injury. Well, if I can uh, suggest one reason for that is so you do a movement like I've had frozen shoulder. And uh, it, it really hurts. Frozen shoulder is really, really painful. And the, it's like someone just gets a knife and jabs you in mm -hmm. the shoulder. And then so you learn. And what, what you're describing, I think, Gordon, is an adaptive system, which is the positive side of the adaptive system. Is we, we each three of us adapted our running style, our walking style over the slippery road. But then the, the dysfunctional side of that is after an injury, you might learn to protect a muscle because it's, it hurts you in the past, so you avoid it. Uh, is, is that the sort of thing you're talking about? That's correct. That's correct. So you've changed that pattern. And I, and, and I sort of describe that as it's, it's hard to think of it this way, but an ankle injury is, is a brain injury because the brain changes function after that ankle injury. And what Ashley was mentioning, what we call the amida 
uh, test, which is the ankle test system. Um, and that is very sensitive to those differences. So that shows worse scores in individuals who've had a substantial history of ankle injuries. So in athletes, for instance, who've had a lot of sprains because they're playing football or something, they will tend to have poorer scores in that space. We know that as we age, people who have poorer scores on that test, the ankle test that you did, they will tend to have a higher risk of falling. So if you can't perceive where that ankle is as well, you have a higher risk of falling. So it's interesting how all those things come, become connected in that space. Oh, what, what, what a fascinating field this is. And I'm, it's a great pleasure to be talking to you today, uh, Professor Gordon Waddington and uh, Ashley Marchant from the University of uh, Canberra. We're going to have another suitably active song for our listeners here. Uh, check this one and uh, you can guess immediately why I've chosen this music. <laughs> you know, we might be here on radio, but I can see you out there listening to our show here on Fuzzy Logic and 56.2 of you percent were dancing. Yeah, because how could you not dance to a bit of Leo Sayer there here on a Fuzzy Logic 2XX? And uh, well, I guess today, Ashley Marchant and uh, Gordon Waddington from the University of Canberra Research Institute of Sport and Exercise. And uh, what well, we're exercising our brain. Now, uh, Ashley, uh, the little project that uh, you had me involved with, uh, it's got a connection to space. You mentioned uh, uh, gravity on the moon and so on. And tell me a bit more about what you're doing with uh, NASA. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose a continuation from our conversation just before about uh, how the body and the brain responds to ankle injury. Uh, it can relate to what happens when our when we spend some time up in low gravity environment. So a lot of research has looked at balance as a whole, looks at the vestibular system, so your inner ear, looks at your vis, uh, visual system and how that's affected and what happens when you come back down to earth. Something that's not as greatly expo explored is uh, proprioception. Some of that is because of the difficulties faced when trying to record proprioception and how we put a score on that. Um, so that's where we come in. So the ankylometer gives us a score on someone's level of proprioception. And when someone goes up into space, whether they spend some time up in the space station um, or when people were walking on the moon and they're walking around on the low-gravity environment, our proprioception is going to be decreased. So that has you know, issues when trying to mobilise. So an aspect of your balance is, is no longer working properly. So you're going to have trips and falls and, and much the same as you would if you were here on Earth and you had some ankle injury or, or as we age, our proprioception decreases. So I suppose the human body goes through that, um, that sort of process of things decrease as we age. It also decreases when we go up into a low-gravity environment. We're subject to a, an environment that our body is just not used to. So we're looking at that and how the microgravity impacts. Well, it's a good example of how something like the space program uh, helps to teach us something fundamental back here on Earth. And you mentioned ageing, so people in aged care and so on. Mm. And I think you were saying that uh, exercise makes a big difference to your ability to retain your sense of balance and so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My background, I'm a physiotherapist as well as Gordon, um, and I worked in aged care 
I did aged care physio, so I did notice a huge um, change in individuals who were up and mobilising and exercising more than those who sat in their chair or in bed all day. Um, their balance, their proprioception, their just everyday function was so much better if they got up and moved every day compared to someone who didn't. So uh, programs in aged care facilities and so on, really important. Mm -hmm. and, and mental stimulation as well being part of that. Yeah. Is it, um, if someone using a walking frame, is that kind of mixed blessing in, in the sense that they become dependent on the frame and tend to uh, atrophy their natural skills a little bit? Is there a balance? Oh, pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th I think so. Um, I think they have their place definitely and some people need those for for balance so that you don't have a fall but at the same time if you can exercise and strengthen up your body to be able to mobilize independently that's a much better solution than having to rely on a walker for sure okay mm. Uh, so there we go. And everything I, I hear about uh, getting, getting old is uh, don't stop, just just keep going. My dad used to say he wants to burn out, not rust out, <laughs> which is a good way of thinking about it. Now, uh, injuries, uh, Gordon, and we were talking about ankle injuries before the song break and uh, how we have to relearn in some cases. Did you have more that you wanted to say about our approach to injuries? Um, yeah, the I, I think well, actually, also coming back to the astronaut picture um, a little bit as well, just before I push into the injuries a bit more. But um, what the um, what microgravity that Ashley was talking about offers us um, is an ability to look at how the system changes just from disuse, because when individuals are particularly at the International Space Station, they don't there's 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 no gravity. Basically, there is gravity, of course, because we are actually falling back towards they something. They experience no but gravity, there's, yeah. there's no direct effect at the time, yeah. which means all of that information they're getting through the lower limbs is dramatically reduced that we were we were talking about previously, all that feedback information. So the brain changes during that that period of time. Where um, NASA's critically interested in that is from the perspective of well, if people have to get out of the capsule in a hurry um, when they're coming back to Earth. We've all seen pictures, uh, I'm sure your audience would have seen pictures, of astronauts being helped out of, uh, out of the capsules when they've landed, usually in Kazakhstan or somewhere like that. Mm. Um, those landings are pretty, pretty much happening now in, um, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. So it's even more complex there because you're in a, a rocking um, what's become a boat. A boat, a, a, boat, water, a, a, a water land, an ocean landing. landing yeah. Yeah. So those individuals have to, would have to get out uh, a ladder uh, and get out onto the surface of the, the capsule very quickly. If you had lost the function uh, or lost the, the, the higher level function in the lower limb there, and a model that I think describes this well is if you've sat on the couch for too long watching a movie or something and your leg goes to sleep mm. um, usually it's only one leg <laughs> but and that's a different model because it is a pressure on the nerve that's producing that model but you know that feeling you get when the nerve the leg goes numb yep. and you can't feel where, where and the leg will give way under you if if you had i think that's about as close as we can image this idea of losing this perceptual mm. function from the lower limb how hard that would be to climb a ladder whilst your leg was like that uh, 
but that's very acute and it's and it recovers as soon as the, the circulation gets back to the nerve in that circumstance but if that's been going on for days and your ability to feel your leg that doesn't come back for three or four days at least after you enter three back, or four days three or four days at least after and so you they enter. could barely walk when they get out of the they, space capsule that's right they're usually carried out or a person on either arm. There's very few astronauts can get up and walk after they've been up for an extended period of time. The longest duration is, is about a year, I think. Yes, that was Scott Kelly, and I've now forgotten the name of the Russian astronaut who did the same thing at the, at the same time. Mm. Yeah. They were they're significantly disabled when they came back. Yeah. And so th that's their proprioception, and do they have muscle loss as well? They have significant and bone muscle loss. loss. Just about every system that we have, um, you have bone volume loss, you have muscle volume loss, uh, the fluid the, the fluid column in our bodies changes because here on Earth all the pressure's down at our feet. When we're in, there's no. So this, no uh, this adaptability of the of the human body to many different environments, just walking across a wet road. Uh, but it, it's actually disadvantage because it's a disadvantage the body in those circumstances. is adapting to microgravity, and then yep. suddenly you're back. Yeah. Um, something I've wondered about is for an exercise. They like they do a lot of exercise in the in the space station, right, of different sorts. Could you? Do they have a system with uh, like elastic straps to pull the and and force weight onto the legs and feet? Yes, there is a, there's two systems in the space station. There's one that looks like a very small treadmill, uh, and that has, you wear a belt, which has like oki straps, the elastic straps that, that strap you down onto, the, onto that surface. Um, what we're doing at the moment with Ashley's project is we are twinning that project with a group at MIT, uh, in David Newman's lab at MIT, which is um, the astronautics and aeronautics lab, and um, one of um, her PhD students, Rachel Belisle, and Ashley are um, using exactly the same. The, 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 the moon bed that was built here in Canberra has been modelled in the MIT lab in Boston, and that we are comparing that um, with a varying uh, clothing systems that they're using, as well as the socks that you talked about earlier. And, in fact, the test system, uh, it's not going to fly, but one of the astronauts going up to the International Space Station on the 8th, assuming that they get a, they get a, 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 a go, all the weather's clear and everything's all good to go, they're going up for 10 days up to the International Space Station from the 8th of this, uh, this May, this coming month, and they'll return and they land in the Gulf. They'll be retested when they come back so we can measure the difference in function and they'll be retested every two days over that recovery period so we can monitor their recovery of their proprioceptive ability. Um, and that's, that's happened very quickly because there was a, we didn't think that was going to happen for some, some months, but that's, that's quite exciting news for us because we're actually testing our first, in, uh, first yeah, flight process. would uh, ask both of you this question. Would you go into space if you were offered... <laughs> oh, a big grin, a big grin from Ashley. I think that's going to be. I would be. Yeah, I would go <laughs> if I had the opportunity. Yes. <laughs> and what about you, Gordon? Would I, you do? I, I wouldn't mind a short trip, but uh, it's probably a bit too long away to, to be away from the family for the Mars trip. It's a yeah. couple of years on that one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have said enthusiastically, absolutely, yes, you bet, please. Now I want to go, uh, and yeah, a short trip. But I realise now how much I appreciate being able to go outside to sit in the sun and sit under the tree sure. and so on. Mm, and absolutely. there's the psychological aspect, which is a bit of our, out of our scope now. But 
yes, I, I think I'd find that really difficult after a few months being bottled up in a little can up there. Um, but imagining what your sensation would be when you go up. Oh, so you've, you know these uh, comet uh, vomits. Uh, vomit. vomit comet. Vomit comet, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> and I was describing, I was telling our guests, uh, Ashley and Gordon, before the show about a video I've seen of cats, a pair of cats they took up in the vomit comet, <laughs> which is a big aeroplane, and they do the, uh, the parabolic flight and you weightless for about... I don't know, a minute or two? No, it's, not a, it's only about 20 to 30 seconds. It's not actually very long. Oh, 20, okay. And these poor cats, look, well, they, they adopt the fall position. They, they stick their legs out going, lah. <laughs> <And they, laughs> uh, it'd be really disorienting, don't you think? For sure. And, yeah, I think that we try to run a lot of tests on those flights so that we can get an idea of what the human body's doing. But... The disorientation that people go through and, and the feeling sick and the vomit often stops a lot of those experiments from going through perfectly because of that disorientation. Um, we were talking, Gordon was mentioning before about um, a jet jet pilot with a um, cup of water on the dash and... Um, or doing doing a loop. Doing a loop, yeah. In the cup. Yeah, and how confusing that is for the brain and your vestibular system is telling you one thing and your visual system is telling you something else. It would be really disorientating. Yeah, how long do astronauts they spend like vomiting up in space? I mean, how long do they take to get over that? Uh, yes, there's a, there is an interesting um, process that happens in that first movement from uh, launch into into microgravity. Uh, some astronauts actually struggle with it. Um, it's it's a it's a well recognised problem. And they have um, very similar to the motion sickness medicines that are used for people who have who suffer motion sickness in the car. Um, they do similar treatments, but it's one of these things that you actually can't tell until you fly someone. They can do they do certain tests with the, as you mentioned, the, the vomit comet to see what will happen in terms of your degree of response in that 20 seconds, 30 seconds of weightlessness. Um, it's a very, that's a very short period of time to test anything, mm. uh, and uh, it very much limits what can be done experimentally. But there are certain circumstances where astronauts go up and are feeling nauseous con continuously, which often means that if they end up on the space station, they come back on the next um, uh, the next. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's transfer. a miserable it's a miserable mm. feeling. I'm not too bad, but uh, I went snorkeling with a friend of mine once, and. Uh, he got motion sickness even just with a pair of goggles on in, in the, in in the, the waves. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't notice it at all. So, yes, we're all weary a bit. Now, that's the same friend with the ankle injury. Right. Uh, have we finished that uh, part of the story about the uh, injuries, Gordon? What did you want to add to that? Um, I, think, I think the real take-home message there is... Um, when you have an ankle injury, what, what's traditionally been considered a very minor injury is that you strap it you strap it, and you do some stability exercise. So things like balance boards, wobble boards. I mean, you, you mentioned that when you were doing the testing uh, in the... Uh, uh, in the walnut, which which we haven't heard it called the walnut no. before, we'll, we'll have to keep that one. Um, you remember you're on an unstable surface, and yeah. you yeah. the test in the ameter is a is a is a lateral, one directional unstable side, surface, side to side, side, yeah. to side. Yeah. That 
is incredibly important. Um, in individuals who are even highly trained athletes, ballet dancers, we've done a lot of work in ballet dancers, um, that continuous process of stimulating that and, and asking your brain and body to, to, to challenge where it is, obviously being careful, don't, um, if you're using things like balance boards, make sure you use them on carpet, don't, don't do them on polished surfaces and floors where they'll slip out from under so you. You could make a small one with a, like a piece of dowel, doesn't there, move too much? Uh, that's a uni, like a rocker board, yeah, just a one-sided, that, that sort of thing, all of that, all of that helps and I'm obviously do hold hands on to, um, if to start with, to actually build that, build a little bit of, um, practice in it and as you get better you can take the hands off um, all of those things are really critical for for maintaining that that stability and balance over time and even more so in that sort of pre we've done what we call cross-sectional studies where we take snapshots of people's ability on the amida at different age bands so we, we start about 8 to 12 and go right through to um, 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 65 70 plus and what you see is you see you definitely see a curve. So you're not so good in the younger age, you get best round about the twenties to forties. And then we see the curve come down a bit, unfortunately, as you go from fifties, sixties and onwards. But what's really interesting about the curve, and we this is a problem with when we just do cross sectional studies, we don't follow people. Not longitudinal not longitudinal studies, no. longitudinal are better studies. But what we see is that the range dramatically widens. So people get very bad when they're older, but also some people are very good, just as good as the 20-year-olds. So what we don't know there is how can we keep people up like that? Oh, we that, think it's from exercise. And that has a huge implication, enormous implication, doesn't it, for the well-being of elderly people. And if you, want, if you only care about money, the cost of the health care and so on and so All on. of those things. So this stuff really matters, doesn't it? It does. And one of the things that particularly you mentioned getting out and, and getting out under the tree and so on. <laughs> the other aspect I look at that is getting out on natural surfaces. If you think about what we, what we do now, we're already living in a flat earth. We're on a flat surface in our house when we get up in the morning. We're a flat surface on the footpath. We're in a flat surface in this studio where we work or in the office where we work. Um, so we don't get practice through that stability that we need to do. So getting out, walking on natural surfaces, sometimes where it's safe, getting in your bare feet to stimulate more of that stimulation from the sole of the feet. That's what Ashley was talking about with the socks, that what we're artificially doing that. That's really, really important stuff to do. That's fascinating. I, I really like that. And because so much of our environment is manufactured, here we are in an air-conditioned room and so on. <laughs> We're almost out of time. Uh, but I think the uh, message also is I should keep riding my uni cycle. Yeah. Keep the balance tasks up, yep. I, I've kind of got a bit bored with it, and I'm not hardly riding it at all now. It's sitting no, it's important to do. away. But a just very quick thing about riding a unicycle I might mention is that I learnt, I was able to learn it not because I'm talented, because I'm not, I'm definitely not talented in that way, I was just persistent. But another principle that I adopted was I broke it down into one atomic skill at a time. So if, now I do recommend to you, dear listener, have a go at a unicycle, it's huge fun and a great way to meet people. Gordon, Ashley, I'll have a go. <laughs> I bought one for about 50 bucks online, $60. Wow. Uh, but first, just learn the back and forwards movement because as you pedal the thing, and, and don't worry about side to side and then prop yourself up in the garage mm -hmm. car on either side. That's what I did. And I got used to the idea that as I pedal forward, uh, I would roll back, pedal the other way, mm -hmm. go, you know, and so on. 
and then I, over time I take my hands off the car and then get used to going inside, then twisting my lower my from the hips. Mm-hmm. And then I went outside with the uh, ski poles. Oh yes. And, and initially I was grabbing onto the fence, and then ski poles, and then I, and then I could lift the poles off the ground a little bit more each time. And then like uh, riding up and down the street, my neighbour's looking out the window. There's Rod the Rico. <laughs> and then one day I just went chuck, and I threw the poles away. And uh, then so I was riding all around the neighbourhood. <laughs> and people go, oh, and I say, well, saves on wheels. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I had to learn was uh, how to idle, which is basically riding in Just one spot. That sure. took ages. I was quite good at riding up, and even the sleeping curves, I could ride up and down. Anyway, I'm rambling. You know what you've got to do now, though? What's that? Do it with a blindfold. That's your next challenge. Oh, crikey. <laughs> and and, and your proprioception. <laughs> and close my eyes. Yeah, okay. I'm getting a bit out of practice. <laughs> Look, um, this has been a fascinating discussion. I really enjoyed our conversation uh, uh, today here with uh, Ashley Marchant, PhD student and uh, Professor Gordon Waddington from the University of Canberra. And a quick plug for today's column in the Canberra Times and Oz Community Media Network. It goes out across, I don't know, 30, 40 newspapers, I think. Uh, a thing called Sinrock, uh, which is what to do with nuclear waste. And I have a nuclear expert has written that. Basically, they fuse nuclear waste into uh, silicon, uh, silica uh, rock material and then bury it somewhere. All right. Good on you. Oh, we can podcast. And last thing, Ashley, uh, you're looking for volunteers? I am, yes. Over 18, no recent ankle injury and no medical condition, which might affect balance. Reach out to Ashley Marchant at UC. Good on you. And get in touch with us here at uh, Fuzzy Logic. And uh, it is a lot of fun. I recommend it. Ashley's great company. And, uh, well, that's it. That's the plug. And they're also a wrap. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for very having much. Us. Thanks for having us, Rod. Got to go. Catch. Oh, actually, one thing. Two weeks' time, we have an expert in artificial intelligence coming on the show. We're going to be talking about this thing called Chat GPT. And whoa, oh. crikey, man, that's a big topic. Anyway, let's talk about it. Righto. Catch you later.